Oh, balls to Scott. Absolute gift in the goal square. Banfield does well. Knocks it towards Amos. It bypasses Colin Jasny. Amos back on the ball. The overlap from Tracy. Long handball to Frederick. He can go again to Sonny. Have a listen to this. Sets the ball inside 50, Gunston went up high. Now Zach Bailey, what can he do? Went one way to the next, Corral. Oh. Oh, great for a couple of tackles. Oh. Now is a step shot of goal. Wow. Oh, Zach wow. Bailey, goal the night so far. Magnificent bit of play by the number 33, and Dean Son will tell you all about it in a moment. But the Lions are not getting their six. The Dogs give the Crows a lesson in Ballarat as Wallulup notch their third win in a row, this time against the reigning Premiers. The Lions putting their foot down in the final term to earn bragging rights in the Q Clash. Sydney free kick. Sydney free kick. Sydney free kick. Okay, Hayden, you have to go free kick for an interchange breach, and it's a 50 metre penalty. Okay. And McLean is going to put Sydney in front with 50 seconds remaining. They might tear the joint down, the Roos fans. Just what in the world happened yesterday at Marvel Stadium? The Swans escape with the win over the Kangaroos, who were left to rue their interchange bungle. Tom Morris to explain it all. Centre clearance again. Stringer on cue. Butler, you crystal ball, Mary. Brilliant man, you from 55. <laughs> Umpire doesn't move. The package delivers back. He delivers. One way the other, gets to 50, snap across the body, the bounce doesn't favour. Redmond gets back, big tackle oh, lane, maybe socket, oh. on the line, Richmond goal, would you believe it? So he's 70 from home, they're under a minute remaining, one goal will win it, five points to margin, kicks up to the hotspot, Draper, big pack of players, out the back, the package, on his left, snap to the hotspot, oh, Durham takes him up directly in front, and would you believe it? And how fitting it's on the Aboriginal flag. Durham goes back. Essendon are in front. Essendon are in front by a point. First hands on the footy with the Bombers and they lock it up. And there's the siren. It's a dream time miracle for the Bombers. Yes, it was a dream time miracle at the G. Sam Durham, the hero for the Bombers, who went one point up with eight seconds remaining in the game. We'll speak to Carl Langford to unpack the frenetic final term in the second hour. You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. So much to unpack on this round 10 edition of Sunday Crunch Time. From interchange gated Marvel Stadium to a thrilling Don's victory and some complete performances from the likes of the Lions, Dogs and Dockers. We'll speak to Don's utility, Carl Langford, plus ahead of the Hawks clash against the Eagles today, footy boss Rob McCartney to join us. Sarah Ollie here with Tom Morris and Scott Lucas. Good morning, Tom. Morning, Sarah. By interchange gate, did you mean, mean interchange gate in the same way as Watergate or interchange <laughs> gate and that's where the infringement occurred? What do you mean by that? Hey, 
I'll just let you decide that one. So, Sarah, I'm enjoying your chat during Swans games. It's Scotty. It's when she gets most fired up. But this is a list of her complaints yesterday during the Swans oh, game. come on. Umpires are no good. Swans could be cooked. This is grim. It's cold. I'm tired. Laddams <laughs> might have done his ACL. It was actually his ankle. Our midfield is so done. I wasn't even happy with the win. <laughs> well, She's a I'm frustrated Swans supporter. I'm glad to see these messages are private. <laughs> I, I know. I would never, ever talk about messages you put on our chat. But I was doing the <laughs> Crows Bulldogs game and I got off air and there was that many messages that I had to just <laughs> sit, take a deep breath and half an hour later I'm still scrolling through. Most are of you them are, mine. Are you okay is all I will say. <sighs> well, it was grim there yesterday. Did I get any of those an, emo- an emotional roller coaster? It was and mm. I think one that you left out was I felt like it was just self-flagellation. <laughs> I felt like the monk in the Da Vinci Code who just whips his back. <laughs> That's how I felt at Marvel Stadium yesterday. Well, what, what was it? The, the chains on the thigh? Yeah. Oh, mm. it was, oh, it but was you just, won the game. Yeah, it was just such an unusual game, though, wasn't it? I yeah. mean, I don't think anyone really knew what was going on. Even after the game, John Longmire, he had no idea what had happened, why Hayden McLean was given the ball and given a 50-metre penalty. Mm. And Roos fans, after the siren, you couldn't hear cheers. It was just – it was booze. Yeah, they were so ropeable. It was bizarre. I was, I was watching it on Fox and Nick Del Santo was on the boundary and he was trying to paint a picture of exactly what the game was like to be there. Doing a very good job. And he said after 10 minutes, North Melbourne have had one disposal in their forward half. 10 minutes into the game. So Sydney dominated early. I thought the Swans were going to win by 100 points and Buddy would kick eight. Didn't play out that way. And the interchange gate, as he called it, <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to discussing that because there's a lot of misinformation out there and yeah. we can break it down. So we will unpack with that with you a little bit mm. later in the show. <laughs> but as we do every Sunday morning, let's start off with our Sunday snaps. Who's first? I reckon Scotty can go first. You've got the new ball. Yeah, they've got the six-stitcher coming off the long run. Um, for me, it's Port Adelaide. I find it intriguing all that's playing out there. They've won seven in a row. They're third on the ladder. Their wins in this seven, this block of seven, they've beaten it as the ladder stands. First, fourth, fifth and sixth are in those wins overall. So it's a, it's a record that stacks up, yet still we hear nothing out of Port Adelaide. I think the main point out of all of this is if I was two or three other clubs within the AFL, <laughs> I would be on the phone to Ken Hinckley's management and say, what is going on there? Would he like to come and coach our club? Which clubs? Uh, I'll leave that to our loyal punters. Yep. They perhaps can give us that feedback um, on what they're thinking. Yep. Uh, but I just think there's opportunities there for other clubs because, as I've said, I don't think there's – there's really good coaches within within the AFL, but it's such a tough job that I don't think there's 18 good, very good, great coaches in the competition because we have guys at different stages, etc. But Ken is clearly one of those better coaches. If stu- and he needs to have a job within the industry because it would be such a waste for me. If the Gold Coast Suns sacked Stuart Jew, I'm not saying that's imminent in no, any way. No, that's but, right. Because but, but if they did. Would that force Port Adelaide's hand to re-sign Ken Hinckley? That's a great question. And I was part of that several years ago with Kevin Sheedy Mm. when Carlton moved on Dennis Pagan and immediately discussion centred on Michael Voss coaching Carlton. I've no doubt that Essendon reacted to that with the timing of making a decision on Sheedy so that they could be in the race. Now, in the end, Michael Voss at the time determined that he'd like some experience and I think he signed with West Coast to be an assistant but then Lee Matthews stood down and he became senior coach at Brisbane but 
Essendon did that, and things do force your hand, yes? So things like that do start a chain of events. But right now, I think the only decision is Port go, okay, let's sort this out. Ken, we want to keep you. How does it look? Do you want to stay? Yep, let's work through it. So Crazy, isn't it? It's When cr- you think about it, they're third on the ladder. The yep. wins that they've got, they have a coach out of contract. Look, is it not that simple? They're eight and two. And David Kosh, we've been saying it for weeks, has said that they'll wait until August. If they were two and eight, I'd be saying, Sarah, mm-hmm. they probably need to make a call on, Koshy, it, uh, on, it on Ken Hinckley now. If it was two and eight, Ken Hinckley would have had a press conference the last couple of weeks and said, look, I, I think it's time. Yeah, so the opposite is true because they're eight and two. Yeah. Resign him. Yeah. Now, he was on for two years. We don't know. We're not privy to all that's going on behind the scenes, but you hope that conversation would um, be happening right now because it's crazy if it's not. Yep. You have a good coach. Do it. Keep him. Mm. And just when it comes to the win from the power, how good was Zach Butters? Yes. 41 disposals, especially in the conditions, because it was teaming down with rain at Adelaide Oval. He is so clutch, and he's still got, I think, some further levels to go. And the opponents they were going up against. I mean, we were really positive around Anderson and Raul the week before because they went up against Oliver Petrarca. Well, it was Butters and Rosie Mm. against Petrarca and Oliver. Just... um, the difference that Butters and Rosie have made since going in the midfield, and it's not just this year, but that power, like you just, you're seeing games of football, particularly live now, and the ability to exit stoppage and transition is just almost the game now. If you can't run hard for longer, it's it really is noticeable. And I think Sydney have a little bit of that through their midfield, perhaps not quite as much ping as other teams, but Rosie and Butters are Powerful runners. Mm. Powerful. I liked Ken Hinkley's description of Zach Butters as being a tough little prick. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly Mm. one that Ken loves. But, Thomas, Sunday snap from you? Yeah, I'm going off Broadway for my snap. We know this year Melbourne are hoping to package up several picks to get Harley Reid at the top of the national draft. Don't think it'll happen. When last year on draft day, Melbourne offered Essendon three first-round picks, all in the teens, to get pick four. They really liked one player in particular, and New Gold Coast would swoop on him with pick six. Essendon said no, much to the Suns' delight, which allowed this player mm. to slip to pick six. His name is Bailey Humphrey from the Gold Coast Suns. He was the rising star last week. Last night, I know the Suns lost, he had 18 disposals in the first half, 26 for the game. He's a star in the making, Bailey Humphrey. And because he's slightly off Broadway, it might have taken me a bit longer to realise how good this kid is. But... He's going to be a very good footballer, and my snap is him. I just think I just think he's going to be an absolute gun when he, I guess, has another one or two preseasons under his belt. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think as well Bailey had very limited footy last year because he was injured, yes. but he was still taken at, yeah. at pick six. So clubs valued him very highly. They did played in, he played late in the year when Metro played country, which was probably the game where Harley Reid elevated to another level. Uh, and has As a bottom so major, much, yeah, yeah, and seen so much discussion. It was like he played up forward and he was ragdolling some defenders that were going to get drafted. Then he'd go in the midfield and win some key clearances. This is Harley. So a lot of discussion around that this year is centred on that particular game. But Bailey Humphrey had missed a lot of football but came out in that game and had, I think, four or five shots for goal, limited prep, and some clubs were very comfortable on that. Mm. I think Essendon saw it where they rated five or six guys very similarly in that mix. And if they got a one of the picks within that range, 
with extra, they would have taken it. Yep. But I think the picks that Melbourne offered were outside the group of players that they wanted one of, yeah. which made it more difficult. And, and really, I'm sure Melbourne will hunt pick one, but it's a brave club that will give up whoever has pick one at the end of the year, give up Harley to get a mix of other players. Depends what those picks are. It's going to be interesting yeah, to see. Yeah, it does. But if you look through the draft, there's always a tipping point where it drops off and it might be uh, the Sam Walsh draft. It's really deep. There's about seven right now that are legit, already A-graders. But then in other drafts, it's two or three or mm. four. You don't want to miss on a Harley and get three good, very goods if you miss on that guy that, I'm not going to say and put pressure on him and say change your future, but they do contribute significantly to culture, play, etc. Mm. It's how you value three goods, one great. Yeah, Sarah, makes sense. Snap? Makes sense for Melbourne because they've got depth, so they they add another one like that. But some club might be keen to get a swathe of picks to build out their list. Mm. Well, my Sunday snap has got to be the pinnacle, the centrepiece of Sir Doug Nichols' round, and that is dream time at the G. It is such a beautiful spectacle that I think builds year on year. And last night I challenge you not to be moved if you were watching the pre-match ceremony, how Essendon and Richmond, they came together, how the Indigenous players from both sides came together and stood in front of the collective two teams. And I just thought it was it was note perfect. I mean, even Morris Rioni Jr., he's not playing at the moment, he's injured. But he was there with his Indigenous brothers, which I just thought was really beautiful. And then to top it all off, we got a cracking match. So the footy matched the spectacle. And I just thought last night was note perfect at the MCG in the end, just one point, Tom. And Eddie Betts was working for Fox and he said he got emotional watching the yeah. pre-match, which tells you how well they did it as Yeah, well. absolutely. And I think it is an emotional fortnight when we're celebrating our Indigenous players and celebrating their stories. We look at their beautiful jumpers and, and we learn what these jumpers mean and what they mean to the players and the clubs. And so I think it is an emotional couple of weeks. I think it's a pretty special couple of weeks and I look forward to Dreamtime at the G Every year. Now, sometimes the game isn't all that close, but last night, Tom, we got an absolute ripper. Yeah, was it 13 in a row that was the winning yes. streak for Richmond? Yes. So the game itself um, was hotly contested, and I thought Richmond were home mm-hmm. um, at one point, but Essendon just kept on kept on pushing. And, Scotty, you were there. Uh, what, what did you make of the way Essendon stayed in the contest and then got the job done in the end? It's a win that builds your fabric, and I think it's a win – that in previous years perhaps wouldn't have occurred. You know, the Essendon, uh, Richmond started extremely well, well on top, two or three early. Essendon fight back, hung in, hung in there, which was good. Then Richmond go again, Essendon come back again. Mm. So there was a lot of character to that win. It was a good performance. Uh, Richmond had got some players missing, no doubt, uh, but Essendon do also. So I, I thought it was an important win. In many ways, and you don't deserve wins, but um, they had played some pretty good football. Uh, Brisbane got them last week under man, but very good against Collingwood and Geelong for three quarters yeah. apiece. Uh, Port, they were in that for a long time. Didn't kick, kicked well, which kept the 
but still competitive. So I feel like they'd built towards that, which was a good performance by them. Uh, and it's also a discussion point, guys, isn't it, around Richmond? I mean, did we, we sort of had almost a little false dawn last <laughs> week when we looked at the win against Geelong and Richmond are back, they're doing this, they're doing that. But we saw yesterday with Geelong, and I'm sure we'll get to it, where they've got a few missing at the moment. And I think we've just looked and, oh, this is Geelong, they'll be okay. But when you dig a bit deeper, they've got significant players out of their team which make it harder, and Frio were able to expose that yesterday. In many ways, Richmond were last week, yet you come up against a team with Essendon, which I don't think make the eight. They're, they're not ma- far off, though. They're not far off, but they're an eight to 11, 12, because there's yeah. only a win or two that separate those teams, and they're able to beat Richmond. So I think, for me, Richmond sit around that, certainly quite a bit off that top band of teams at the moment. Well, the Bombers have squared the ledger now. They're 5-5 five and five with West Coast to come next week. The Tigers, however, sink to 4-6 and six, and they've got Yatapulti, which is Port Adelaide, to come at the MCG. So that's going to be a tough assignment. Uh, I was there at the game last night in, in reference to Essendon and, and uh, a loyal fan came up and said g'day and then rhymed off that we've still got West Coast, North Melbourne, <laughs> no, North, North Melbourne, twice. North Melbourne twice and yes. someone else twice. Yeah. And I said, look, you're well ahead of me that you know what their fixture is. But um, it does appear that they've got some winnable games middle back end of the year. Essendon's uh, situation at the moment, and we say it every single week, they're actually playing football that's commendable even when they lose. So regardless of the result, they're playing well. And I think we probably shouldn't go any further without mentioning Zach Merritt as their captain. And there were some doubts about Zach Merritt as a leader a couple of years ago. He wasn't in the leadership group. And uh, Brad Scott came in and he said to Zach, your number one aim is to be the best footballer in this team. Captaincy, everything else would go with it, but you lead by example. And he led by example last night, best on ground, easily so. That's the most obvious three-voter from an umpire I think we'll get this year. All right, well, let's hear from Brad Scott on Zach Merritt last night, comparing him to one of the all-time greats. I'll, I'll never forget when I, when I first, um, you know, as a kid growing up watching Michael Voss play, I thought, you know, gee, this guy's, you know, a generational player. Um, but usually you get disappointed when you see them up close. And, you know, when I went up as a player and I saw him, I thought, wow, he's, he's better than I thought he was. Merritt fits in that category in terms of, you know, I knew he was a good player, um, but he's got aspects of his game that, that I wasn't aware of. Um, he's, his defensive pressure, um, he's, you know, got a lot of capability, but he's, yeah, he's, I knew he was a very good player. He's a better player than I thought he was. Um, and that's unusual because, you know, usually you see players up close, you see the, some of the, the flaws. Um, you know, he, he's, um, he's got an unbelievable will to win. You know, he's, he and Dyson, you know, and Andy McGrath doing a terrific job, you know, leading this young group. And, you know, Zach got his just reward tonight. So you're not going to find a more glowing endorsement than that when it comes no. to Brad Scott and Zach Michael Merritt. Voss. Yeah, Michael Voss, how do you do? Uh, but where where does Zach Merritt sit at the moment in terms of the midfielders in the game? Coming into this season, yes, he wanted to be the best footballer, but he also wanted to be the best defensive midfielder in yeah. the game. He's never had an issue with his polish. He's no. always been one of the most beautiful kicks. But has he got that harder, more defensive edge to his game this year? And is he a more all-round product? Clearly more uncompromising defensively. His tackle on Dustin Martin late yesterday, Scotty, was telling. Not saying he wouldn't wouldn't have done this in the past, but his focus on defence and attack is more balanced now than it's ever been. I think so. And I think that's possibly an uncompromising approach of non-negotiables from the senior coach. Mm. You know, 
you must, as captain, you must lead, and this is a big part of it. So I think he's got a better balance to his game. That can also come with maturity. We don't have to necessarily always equate it to a change of coach, change of approach, uh, but perhaps the captaincy itself. But you're quite right when you said earlier, he was clearly the best player on the ground. Look, he just his ball use, the vision, and what he was able to find, he made other players around him better with his kicking. There was a, particularly that goal that Durham kicked. He's mm. the first one, not the, the second one. But he basically kicked it to a spot for Durham to go to that allowed him to mark and finish. So yeah. he, he was absolutely excellent last it, night. Isn't it interesting the way that the leadership of a player can be assessed based on the group that he's around? So initially, Zach Merritt's leadership was seen probably by some as overbearing in sort of a Brennan Goddard type way mm. and probably put people offside, which is why he wasn't, in the leadership group a couple of years ago. But given the right coach and the right environment, he's now seen as un- uncompromising yeah. and driven. Mm. And it's and all he, based on the people around him. And he might not have changed one bit, Tom. No, that's right. And that's the interesting uh, notion. But I think that's more a reflection of the group yes. than Zach because I can't think of a team, a very good team, that doesn't have an uncompromising leader that isn't prepared to have really hard conversations with the playing group and make a few squirm. How do you get anywhere unless you're prepared to challenge one another to be better? We can all live in this world um, of cuddles and yep, love, yep, backslapping, pats on the bum. You're great, but if you're not, you need to know it mm. because it's a brutal environment. I mean, I often say, if it was easy, everyone would play AFL. How many kids would love to play AFL? Thousands. It's only for 800 in the nation. 60 a year, they give a chance to have a crack at it. It's bloody tough. Mm. And I think we've got to appreciate that. And winning's even harder because in the day of salary cap, um, drafting and so forth, we're in an equalised environment. So all the little one percenters really are significant because the talent on lists, uh, barring injuries, uh, same, same. And, and there's evolution of lists. You get old, you, you regenerate, etc. But the talent is fairly even now. I mean, 20, 25 years ago, you, you turned up with talent and you won. It doesn't happen anymore. Mm. The Tigers have a problem, and it's winning close <laughs> games. In the last 12 games decided by under a kick, Richmond haven't won a single one. In fact, they've had three draws and nine losses. Is this something between the ears? Is it psychological, or what is it? Because I'm sorry, that is rather stark. bizarre, isn't it? It's stark. To be in 12 games where it's decided by a goal or fewer, a fewer points, and they can't manage even one win, not even one. Three Ooh. draws. <laughs> It's a stat that the players are probably unaware of. It's the reverse Collingwood, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And your awareness of it is often governed by your want to absorb media. Because everyone knows about Collingwood because everyone talks about it. Um, And more importantly for Collingwood with that is other teams hear about it. So it's twofold. The confidence Collingwood has at three-quarter time the little man on the shoulder of the opposing team that goes, oh, that's right, these guys are really good in the last quarter. And then there's a subconscious of the way you play, conservative by nature, whereas Collingwood just keep going, going. So it becomes self-fulfilling. It's a little bit like Port Adelaide years ago. Yeah, I remember when that. They had fitness the, team. Yeah, when they had Burgess as their fitness coach, that they started to tell and they created a narrative of no one outruns us, and it was very clever. Melbourne was the same in 2021. Mm, yeah. We're the fittest team, and then they start to believe it. Yep. Yeah. And they, and they and, were this year as And well. as we said, in a game of one percenters, it's critically important. Mm. Any little advantage is significant. Uh, for Richmond, I don't look at them and go, there's a particular area of their game 
that cost them that you go, oh, okay. Because I think Carlton late last year, they made some critical errors, errors late in game where players just made poor decisions, which was individuals at different times. Whereas Richmond's, it's a little bit more, perhaps this is where they're at and they've just got to keep working on it and the it's just not quite going their way. Certain things. I mean, let's look at last night. Ryan Mansell only has to kick a point. Only yeah. a point, yes. Like, th- th- so let's not in this game go, okay, it's between the ears. That was Ryan Mansell. He nails the goal. It's ended. He kicks a point. Um, the best outcome for the Bombs is a draw. Yeah, the that's best right. outcome. And perhaps because they're six down, they play, you know, a little bit. De- it changes the psychology of it late in the game. All he had to do was get it between the 21 yards. <laughs> Look, it's really interesting, isn't it? When he lined up, did he think, I need to kick a goal or I just need to get a score? Perhaps if he thought, I need to get a score, the psychology changes. Because if you think, I've got to kick it between six six metres, mm. that's tough. But if he just ex- expands it back, this is easy. Give myself plenty of room on the mark. Give it air. I can't possibly miss everything. But he did. This was Damien Hardwick's take after the loss. It was, a, it was a horrible game by us, to be perfectly honest. You know, we couldn't defend. To give up 140, un, un, 140 odd uncontested marks was was just diabolical. And you know, it was obviously strategy coming in. We saw it the VFL guys, but we just couldn't stop it. You know, I thought they used the ball, controlled their defence through their offence, and we just couldn't get the ball back, which was uh, which is incredibly frustrating. It wasn't helped by the fact offensively we just gave the ball back. You know, 36 giveaway turnovers in the front half is just horrendous by nature um didn't give ourselves an opportunity we had 60 odd inside 50s but we just kept giving the ball back you know our disposal and decision making inside 50 or inside the forward half is really really poor um give the ball back then they start their uncontested mark chain and we uh we start again so yeah it's a reasonably simple process that we just didn't get right and Sarah, Sam Durham as the <laughs> as the match winner for Essendon. A great story. Mid-season draftee. Um, he'd missed one, I think, on debut, he said, against North Melbourne from a similar position. And he was a Tigers VFL player. And a Tigers VFL <laughs> player. And, yes, it was an easy goal, but he's still the hero. What a great story. I mean, he went back and kicked it, whereas we were talking about Ryan Mansell. He went back and missed it all. All right, that's been the Saturday night wrap for Underworks. For all-day comfort, everyday quality and everyday style, it has to be all-day socks by Underworks. All-day comfort, all-day socks by Underworks. Stick with us on Sunday Crunch Time. Up next, we're going to unpack the Q Clash and the Dockers win over the Cats at Optus. Warm-up goes to back towards the goal square. Charlie's there, pumping up one-hander. Danaher, left foot snap, Joe snaps it, and he brings up his ball. Welcome back to Crunch Time for Azito, powering DIYers all day, every day at Bunnings. Sarah Ollie here with Tom Morris and Scott Lucas. And we're going to unpack the Q clash because last night the Lions 16-11-107 defeated the Suns 9-10-64. A 43-point win. But Tom, if you were just flashing between the games and checking the score, late in the final term, I think the Suns, they were within five points. So this was a close game for the majority of the match. But the Lions, as they regularly do, when they want to score proficiently, they know how to do it. Well, it looked for the entire game as if Brisbane might win by a couple of goals. And then they just kicked away at the very end. But the Suns, I don't know. The the glass half empty approach with the Suns is they've got to pinch one of these at some point. They, They did well against Melbourne, couldn't quite get over the line. They did match it with Brisbane for much of last night. They ended up losing by, what's that, 40 odd points. Um, 
when are they going to take a scalp? But Brisbane are hard. I think Brisbane at the Gabba is probably the hardest assignment in footy at the moment, especially given, Sarah, as you like to talk about, how few injuries they have. Just Daniel Rich and another player who's only played one game on their injury list at the moment. Yeah. So, the, so the Suns are doing most things right, but they just can't get these wins. Collingwood are 8-1. Who was their one loss to? The Lions at the Gabba. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's, a, it's probably, I would say, because of the home ground advantage. They're, they're close to the best team. That's the toughest trip in football at the moment. So the, I'll, the question I'll pose to you at the Gold Coast is, do you think it is, um, and it probably dovetails into our earlier conversation, do you think there's some in-game adjustments that aren't made that perhaps hurt them late in games or in games in general that don't get them over the line? I just don't think they have that winning mentality that good clubs yeah, do. They don't yeah. find a way like good clubs do. This is not to say they're not going to get there. No. But they just only, don't. They yeah, don't find a way. Yeah. Do and they? it only takes one win. Yeah, yeah. To our point around confidence and Collingwood's belief, Gold Coast don't have that. That when it's fifty-fifty, they can swing it fifty-two forty-eight because they have that inner belief. And it's done. You just need to do it once or twice, and then that belief grows. Because we are talking small margins, and you're right. They're in it for you know three, three and a half quarters, six goals to one in the last to Brisbane. They can do that to anyone. We've talked about their forward line and how efficient they are. Yep. It's a, it's a stronger performance by the Gold Coast than the final score reflects. It is. And yep. Lockie Neal won the Marcus Ashcroft medal for best on ground. I'm looking forward to Marcus Ashcroft presenting this to, to either Will, Will Ashcroft. Ashcroft. <laughs> or maybe he's, he's got it. He's got it. There's a couple there ready for him to take. Maybe not this year or next, but absolutely. And maybe Levi Ashcroft down the track as well. He's a couple of years yeah. away. Oh, um, nice. He's only a year 11 boy. But uh, uh, maybe this is my nostalgic mind getting a little bit ahead of myself, Sarah. So mm-hmm. be, feel free to pull me up on this. I think of this Essendon 2000 team and what I loved about that Essendon 2000 team was how they flicked a switch when the game was hot. And Brisbane had this ability, not saying they're the same as Essendon in 2000, to flick a switch when it gets hot and all of a sudden they're four or five goals ahead and it's game over. They do it so quickly and they seem to do it most weeks. And at the Gabba, they are so quick forward of centre. Joe Danaher is in all-Australian form. Isn't it a far cry from where he was after that Western Bulldogs Round game? Round three, yes. When he copped so much heat. But he's playing some great footy. And Scotty, you say it every week. Can he do it in a final? Well, he's oh, doing it every week, so there's yes. no reason to say he won't be able to. Oh, there's no reason to say that. And I firmly believe Joe will determine. Not, not every player gets to determine how good they are. Mm. Because, you know, ability has a big part to do with it and then who you play on. I'm firmly, firmly of the belief, based on Joe's talent, that Joe will determine how significant a year Joe has. Mm. Um and if he wants to be the best player he can, and that's his goal this year, then he can take them all the way. So you're saying the Gabba, it's the toughest road trip at yeah, the moment. Absolutely. That is the toughest yep. assignment. Hmm. Does that mean the Lions need to finish top two in order to secure a premiership berth? It's without doubt their very best chance by a long stretch because we've seen them and still my reluctance to be all in so I'm all in on the lines for the home and away season. Absolutely. But we've just seen they've given up a couple of poor – they've had a couple of poor performances at home in finals, which the question mark remains until they get past that. Yeah. And still, they're probably because of their home ground advantage, the most likely team right now to make the grand final. I'm looking at Brisbane. But I don't think they're the premiership favourite because you have to pack your bags, fly down to Melbourne mm-hmm. and come yeah. to the MCG against perhaps a Collingwood or Melbourne or the Bulldogs are going very well. Geelong, Geelong, who play at the MCG, play it well and have no fear of going there. And I don't suggest 
that the Lions necessarily are fearful of it, but they're not as confident when they roll in there. If they do, there will be a doubt, some doubt in the back of their mind for their other teams. Been there, done that. I'm looking at Brisbane and Collingwood, and I'm thinking if they finish 1-2, it's going to take some seriously good footy to knock them off and have them not make grand finals. Question on the Gold Coast Suns. Can we flip the Ken Hinckley question now? Mm -hmm. How long does Gold Coast wait if Hinckley remains unsigned? If they don't think Jew's their man after round 20 or round 22 and they're going to finish 12th or 13th, do they then take a punt on Ken Hinckley and say to sorry, Stuart Jew, we've got someone else? Uh, If you don't think he is your man, Mm. you do it as soon as possible. But right now, they're going okay. Uh, so that's the determination you've got to make. So they committed to Dewey last year for two years. They did, yeah. Um, I don't think anything has changed materially in that time for them to be any less confident that he's their man. But what has changed is Ken Hinckley yep. is now out of contract. Yeah. Yeah. So there's external factors that make a difference. But in saying that, uh, when they re-signed him, perhaps middle of last year, yeah. we all felt that there would be good coaches around the mark, didn't we? And available. Yeah. And, and there were. Yeah. So Nathan Buckley was sitting there then. He still is. Brad Scott was at, at AFL House. Ross Lyon, Alistair Clarkson. Well, they're all, all there. Yep. yep. So I would say that, no, Gold Coast made their decision then and they are confident and nothing has changed. Yep. And I hope that is the case. And I hope so do I. they can push for finals if mm. even if they don't make it. But if you're not sure then you're duty-bound to ask. Mm. At Optus Stadium yesterday, it was the Dockers who are going via Wolulup at the moment, 16-10-106, getting over the Premiers who have lots of injury concerns at the moment, 11-11-77. So in the end, a 29-point win. Did we learn more about the Dockers or the Cats here? Because the Cats are missing so many key parts. But the Dockers, they've notched their third win in a row. And for the third week in a row, Scotty, They've had 100-plus points. So they've turned this a corner this season. They have indeed. I still think it's a little bit nil-all on that game. Mm-hmm. On the back of Richmond last week, Geelong, uh, they, they've missed players. And you can easily give them a mulligan in that sense, travelling to Perth. And, and Freo have started to play that little bit better, which they should. We should expect. They won a final last year and started the year horribly. But they've started to get a little bit of confidence Played a little bit more aggressively with their ball movement. They were quite stodgy early on, and you've nailed it. They've kicked 100 points because they've decided to move the ball and take the game on. Uh, they need to continue to do that. Now, Fife, Tom, he yeah. started yesterday. Not the sub. He did get subbed out. But he what did you well. make of his performance? He looks like he was moving a bit more freely. Yeah, he played well. It just looks weird to have Nat Fife subbed off without an injury. I guess Justin Longmuir is taking a cautious approach and making sure – that he is fully fit when they need him most. Yeah, so he didn't play waffle football no. before he came in no. and sub. So yeah. he's on at a, a minutes because most players after a long layoff come back through the VFL and they build their minutes over, say, three weeks. Then you're up for AFL selection. They've done it a different way with him, which would be really challenging for him because I think he's as proud a champion as yeah. anyone. Uh, he's a very confident player. So that would be uh, tough, I imagine, for him to get his head around. But clearly there's a plan in place. Two-week sub, he would supplement those sub games with running sets after. And now he they go, okay, well, we'll play you at a higher intensity, but we're not going to expose you to further injury. Because it's not a, a one-time layoff. 
He's had some niggles over the last couple of years, so I think that also gives a history to being really mindful here. If you break your arm, you miss six weeks, you do an enormous amount of power running where you come back in, and if you don't break your arm, your legs are great. You're probably fitter. Yeah, you're fitter. <laughs> so your your ability to withstand high game time and high intensity is there. Because he has it, they've built him in, and clearly that's been the plan, which he's across, as proud as he is. He had the 17 disposals yesterday, good balance of contested uh, and uncontested. Um, he'll keep building. I think he's important because he adds a different mix. So Brayshaw, Sarong, very good mids, but they're not big mids. Brayshaw was great yesterday, yeah. 33 touches. Yeah. So he, and that's a significant factor. His last yeah. two, three weeks have been excellent. And he's kicking goals as well. He's kicked seven naught for the year. So uh, we appreciate his defensive running always. I think that's his something that differentiates him from other mids as he works both ways for his team. But to add goals is significant. And I like the mix of Fife with his size in the midfield, because if we talk about the best mids in the comp, Oliver Petrarca, Bond, are big units, aren't big they? Boys, yeah. So you've got to have a balance and a mix in your midfield to counter that. And I think Fife can be that. And I've always thought he's a super contested mark. He can play deep forward and just alternate, be really important at centre bounce. Perhaps don't get him caught up in the transition of the game because as he gets older, that gets harder. Centre mid, roll forward get a mismatch, allows others to get. If someone, a very good defender goes to five, who's the defender that gets perhaps a more favourable matchup? And then you start to isolate them and go to them a lot. So you've just got to get that tweak. And that's in-game adjustments that we talk about that's really important. And when we're talking games of, you know, the inches and the one percenters are important, getting that right can be a win or a loss. Having watched Freo last week against your Swans, albeit an undermanned back line, and then yesterday against Geelong, their three young key forwards are actually starting to look Amos, quite good together. Yeah. Amos, Jackson, and um, Tracy. Yes, and well. they're all babies. And they're, yeah, so Tracy's 20, Jackson's 21. Amos is a, a miss. Amos? Amos. Amos. Amos is 19. Yep. Yeah. And three so the, goals. Yeah, they're going to take some time, but as a trio – they're actually starting to look like they've, they're going to offer a bit now. And that was the biggest concern I thought for Fremantle going into this season was who was going to kick their goals. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm seeing the future here with these three mm. young stars who are only going to improve, but we're seeing just the green shoots starting green to shoot. come through. And and I like what I'm seeing mm. when it comes to the Dockers. Are and, you buying the Dockers, eh? Are you into the Dockers? Well, I'm into them more than I was prior to the season. They were two the and season. five and yeah. they look cooked, but now they're just behind... Adelaide and Geelong on percentage. Finals not out of the equation at all, and they've got a scalp. I know Geelong had uh, a lot of injuries, and Chris Scott mentioned that after the game. Personnel issues do make a difference. They do. But Freel. nevertheless, they've got to go, and they've got to beat the reigning premiers, and they did it. And Freel get confidence out of that. Yeah. It doesn't matter. The, the win is the win, and it's still Geelong. So yeah. I think that has an impact on Freo. I just like the way they've changed the way they played. Mm. And I'm not a... I'm not a um, an analyst in the way that Daniel Hoyne is for yeah. Champion Data or, or you are as an expert. But you can see, just looking at the game, they're playing a different way to what they were a month ago. And Luke Ryan, he kept Jeremy Cameron goalless. Mm. So that's a big win for them 100 goals well. out of the equation. <laughs> <laughs> SEN Merch is now available. Get your exclusive SEN branded T-shirts at merch.sen.com.au. Up next, the whip is going to get cracking. Tom's going to bring it out. And we have a look at the dog's big statement in the rat. On Crunch Time, the News Whip with Tom Morris. Your time to shine, Tommy. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Let's start with Saturday's MRO news. Isaac Rankin was reported for a bump on Taylor Duray. I think Rankin was competing for the ball here, and I think he'll get off. I don't think there's anything more we need to say on that. His hands were down. He turned his body. If his hands weren't 
reaching for the ball, who'd be in trouble. But this reminds me of Libba and Brayshaw yeah. in Perth a few weeks ago, and they got, and Libba got off for that. I watched well, that. Brayshaw got off for that. Uh, the Freo Bulldogs game. Regardless, whoever did the, whoever did the bump got off. I, I saw that, and I hope he gets off also. Yeah. Uh, because he was legitimately going for the ball with a good technique. Now, at first glance, I thought Will Haywood would be in trouble for his high bump on George, George Wardlaw. Yep. You were there, Sarah, and it didn't look good. He was off the ground, but he was only off the ground because he was competing for the ball. No, 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 no. But was he? Don't you put your hands out to compete for the ball? You don't think he was competing for the ball? Well, I think he elected to bump, didn't he? I think he was in the air with his hands out. He realised he was going to be second, and then he had to change his mind mid-air. And I think... We've seen I, a few incidents like that this season, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, I, I, th- I really think Will Haywood gets off. I think Haywood's... Um, I think the action wasn't unreasonable given that he was mid-air and had to change his mind when he was mid-air. And you know how difficult that must be, Scotty. If he was on the ground then um, it's a different story. Does it help as well that George Wardlaw, he played out the game and doesn't really played make, very well? doesn't really make a difference. Yeah, because it's either well, – that's based on impact. It's whether this yeah. was careless or not. Um, well, impact determines more the penalty, doesn't yeah, it? Does, yeah, it does, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, on first glance, I thought, oh, I think you elected to bump. Yes, that's exactly mm. what I thought. And yes. I watched it a few more times and I think he'll get off. Tom, there's no doubt you would have watched it significantly more times than me, so I'm going with you. Probably about 20 times. Yeah. Friday yeah. night's MRO, Sarah? Yeah, so Lockie Hunter, he's got a one-match ban for rough conduct on Connor Rosie and Tom Jonas, a one-game ban for a dangerous tackle on Tom McDonald. Will these be challenged? Uh, I think Melbourne's every chance to challenge the Lockie Hunter one. Do you, I, uh, I think uh, he should take his lot because yeah. he didn't have his hands down going for the ball for me. Yes, I agree with that. I think it's harsh because it's a split-second decision, but I yes. think based on how it's been adjudicated this year, Lockie Hunter's one week is consistent with the MRO findings. The interesting one about Tom Jonas is Tom McDonald was pinged for holding the ball, so the umpire saw it as a fair tackle and the yeah. MRO saw it as an illegal tackle. I, I, we've got to get rid of the term dangerous tackle. Why? Every tackle is dangerous. Ah. It is meant to be. Yeah. It's football. It's a contact sport. This one was strange, it's, though, wasn't it? Yeah. It wasn't he got really him a high. sling. He collared him, but he just took him to ground. No, this was like Zach Merritt's one on um, the Melbourne player, so it, Sparrow, What, a few more of a ago. dump tackle? Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, where you drive the head into the ground, and the reverse angle makes it really clear that it was a, a an illegal tackle, a dangerous tackle. Why is it illegal? Uh, well, because he drives his head into the ground. There's excessive force. Did he... The, reser- the reverse angle is the one you need to see, Scotty, because that's the one that makes it clear that, you know, he's got the ball while he, he does He certainly it. contributes to it, his head hitting the ground. Well, that's all you need to worry about then. But every time you go to ground, look, so we, it's just really impossible for players, I think, now. I understand, yeah, it's hard. I understand the spin, the dump, absolutely. Yeah. But I didn't think that was one of those. Yep. Mm. Just on the injury front, Tom, quite a few across the weekend. Clayton Oliver, a hamstring? Yeah, Mitch Cleary was the first on the scene with this one. Expected to miss at least a couple of weeks if scans do come back as they expect with a strain, which is not very – he did this in the third quarter and kept, and played out the game. I was going to say I don't remember him coming off. Yeah, he ki- he was kicking on just to the right of the screen to, the, um, to full forward and he just – Felt for his hamstring after he did that. Um, so he'll miss at least a couple of weeks if the scans do come back as we think they will, which is not very good. Speaking of hamstrings, Jason, Jason Johannesson has done a more serious one. The Western Bulldogs fear this is potentially four, six, eight weeks. Um, 
depending on what the scans come back. But Luke Beveridge said it's more serious as well, which is a big play. He's been in good form, Jason Johansson. Been in excellent form. He reminded me of Joel Amati when he went off grabbing up high and his hamstring. The key point's high. And he didn't jog. He walked around the boundary line the furthest round. So he's out for quite a while, unfortunately, for him. Marcus Pontempelli's left knee issue is okay, according to the Western Bulldogs. Um, He came back on, said he was a bit sore. There's no significant concerns around him. Peter Laddams had a bad ankle injury. John Longmire said it was significant, so we'll wait and see how bad that is. But that is not ideal for the Swans, who are already decimated by injuries, as you know. Travis Boak was subbed out with a knock to the ribs. Ken Hinckley told our cousin Crunch Time show yesterday he's got the all clear in regards to any significant damage, which is a good outcome for us. So it looks like Travis Boak is okay. What's the latest in Tasmania, Tom? Oh, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) How long have we got? uh, Look, I'll, I'll break it right down. This morning, the Tasmanian government released its signed deal with the AFL. In it, they agreed they are solely responsible for costs to develop the stadium. This is the key, including any costs which exceed the estimated stadium build costs, which is part of the reason there's protests. Everyone expects it's going to go over the $700 million, might even be up towards a billion dollars. The Tasmanian government is going to take those costs, as the AFL said in the past. The document also confirmed the stadium will have a seated capacity of 23,000 and a fixed translucent roof, which is what we've known all along, but it's been confirmed in this document today. So, look, there's people not happy in Tasmania. If I can just put a little uh, editorial on this, just get this just get this done. You know, this is this is great for Tasmanian sport. Yeah. There's millions millions of dollars for local Tasmanian football as well. And you're never going to get exactly what you want in these situations. There's so many different stakeholders. Get this Tasmanian team through and it'll be better for the AFL and it'll be better for Tasmanian sport and the people down there as well. Create a lot of jobs yeah. and then it's up to Tasmania to commercialize it. And yep. monetize it yep. and make it work for their state. It creates an asset of which you've got a significant amount of federal government money that's not available otherwise. Use it to your advantage. And just what went on at Marvel Stadium when it comes to the interchange, we will unpack that the next hour. But that's been the news whip. Thank you to you, Tom Morris. Just before we get into the second hour on Sunday Crunch Time, just a word on the dogs. A very complete performance against Adelaide at Mars Stadium Yesterday, you were doing comms for it, Scotty. What did you take from it? And are we just underestimating where Luke Beveridge's side is at? It's a great question. If we're not underestimating it, we're surely certainly not talking about it to the level that we we should. It's because they had a slow start, isn't it? They had a bad two. But then since then, they might be, I'll say, six of seven. What have we got? They've won five in a row. And they've got some good scalps there. What I like most about them is how well balanced they are. So if you look at their their team, they've got an A-grade ruck, they've got great mids, they've got forwards, keys and smalls, and great halfbacks, and Liam Jones, who yep. was just a pain in the backside yesterday. He got in the way every single time Adelaide went forward. Now, I know Adelaide had... Tex out and Riley Tilth, Phil Thorpe or Phil Thorpe or whatever, <laughs> however he wants. Uh, I'll get that right one day. But he changed the way they brought the ball forward. They've been a high-scoring team, mm. and the Dogs just made them look ineffective and all day long. And a big part of it was where he positioned himself, Liam Jones. So they've got all the pieces there, and the coach can coach. And Bailey Smith was excellent in the midfield, Sarah. He was indeed. Best on ground. That's the yeah. first hour of the Sunday edition of Crunch Time. Thanks to No Limit Main Event Boxing this Wednesday night at Margaret Court Arena. Heavyweight world champion Tyson Fury is watching ringside tickets at Ticketek. Kyle Langford and Rob McCartney to join us in the second hour.
Hello and welcome to Crunch Time for Ozito, powering DIYers all day, every day at Bunnings. And a very warm welcome if you are joining us for the first time around the country. Sarah Ollie, Tom Morrison, Scotty Lucas here to unpack all of the Round 10 action so far. We're going to get into the Bombers' one-point thriller last night. Kyle Langford to join us shortly. Plus, ahead of the Hawks' match in Tasmania today against the Eagles, their footy boss, Rob McCartney, he's also going to be on the line. But as we do in the second hour of every Sunday when it comes to crunch time, let's begin with the sermon. Now it's time for the Sunday sermon on crunch time. Well, I've got the honours this week, you and do? I know Scotty wanted me to do one on my favourite Greek restaurants in Melbourne. <laughs> uh, so I'm sorry to <laughs> 10 Greek plates. That might be, have to be next week. No. My sermon is as follows. Recency bias is ironically not exactly a recent phenomenon. It was discovered by a German psychologist in the 19th century. But tell me if I'm displaying recency bias now. Last night's dream time at the G was the game of the season. It wasn't the highest scoring. It wasn't even the best skilled. But it was the most difficult game to stop watching. It was impossible to take your eyes off it. Yes, Anzac Day was thrilling and Toby Green's late winner over Sydney was incredible. Sorry, Sarah, in round seven. (laughs) But last night was the tip of the iceberg, as ruthless and engrossing as football can be outside of finals. Scotty and Sarah, normally this time of the year, we have our annual state of the game discussion. Not in 2023. Football has its issues off the field. It always will. But as a pure spectacle, the code is in rude health. Probably the best it's been since 2008. I've been loving the footy this year, and you're right. Last night was a spectacle, I think, from start to finish. Dreamtime at the G. It's one of those special occasions on the calendar that we all look forward to. And I thought last night the footy, it certainly packed a punch. You were there, Scotty. How was your heart towards the end? Uh, Look, it was just a win full of character from Essendon. Both teams have got some players out and so forth, but I just think it, it said a lot about their effort to work back into the game after a poor start. Richmond got out of the blocks early. Then they fought back. Then Richmond went again. Uh, And then Essendon came back again. So I think that, you know, they're the sort of wins that will uh, please Brad Scott the most, where you had to dig in, you were challenged, requires a lot of character and effort, but also trusting the process and the plan, the the way that your coach uh, wants you to play. And we heard from uh, Dimmer in the first hour around how, you know, we knew they'd do it and Essendon kept doing it and stuck to their guns and it worked for them. So I think that's really important for the players. They go, okay, if we stick to it through times of ga- during games when it's not working, uh, if we stick to it, it can turn instead of abandoning everything. And that's when the wheels fall off the teams when they go, no, no, this is, you know, the, this is what we're supposed to do, but it's not working. Let's do something else. That's when you get smacked. There's always going to be issues in the game, Sarah, outside of yeah. football. And we know at the moment there is with Hawthorne and Tasmania yeah. and, and, and yeah. other, other matters. You're spot on, though, Tom. Sorry to interrupt. But no one has questioned the game and how it looks on the field this no. year. I, I haven't heard one. And every year we have people, um, that, you know, we need to do this. You're quite, you're quite right, uh, which is great because the football's been strong, hasn't it? People say the game's cooked. You know, the fabric of the game discussion, I've said before, is complete hyperbole. It is. There's a bit of confusion around MRO yeah. occasionally. That's largely to do with the shifting landscape of it, uh, it, legalities. It comes from a great place. It is the health of our players and protecting the head. Yep. I understand that. And I often debate some, as we did with Tom McDonald and so forth, 
But at least no one is in any doubt as to the reason why we're having yeah. these discussions, the health and safety of our players. Where does last night's dream time sit in the landscape of the games that we have seen this year? Because it was up there. But I also think on Friday night we were treated yeah. to finals come early when Port Adelaide took on Melbourne. And what a spectacle that was too. And that was in the driving range. It was amazing. I think, well, I think dream time was number one that I've sat down and watched. But Friday night was incredible too. Anzac Day was amazing. The Toby Green last win- winner, the North Melbourne win in Perth by a point when the ball went out of bounds um, <laughs> at the very last moment. I-, I just love the idea of a full MCG with two big clubs battling it out. One club that's looking to assert itself in the AFL um, has been off the radar for a number of years. The other one who's probably a fading superpower going head to head. And then a young player who is largely Unknown, unheralded yes. a- a- around the league being the match winner. Yeah. I, I just like everything about that game. I also like the fact that Jack Rewalt is playing through injury and playing tough footy, um, doing his best. Trent Cotchen, I think, did some really good stuff like, things last night. Yeah, Dyson just... Heppel took an important mark late. I do think there's still room for veterans in the game, and we're seeing that every week. I think the last couple of weeks, Cotchen has showed that. His energy and, and power last night was very good. Like his transition work, oh, I was um, not surprised, but just thought no, there's still incredible value in him being in the team. Hey, and speak of big games, we might see another one today at the MCG because the old enemies in Carlton and Collingwood, they are taking on each other at 3.20pm. And we will speak to Essendon Utility Carl Langford very shortly. But Tom, let's unpack just what went on at Marvel Stadium yesterday because (laughs) it was high drama. The Kangaroos, who of course were being coached not by Alistair Clarkson but by Brett Ratton, they looked to have the game completely sewn up. And then at the death, the Swans, they somehow find the ball in their hands. Can you just talk us through what went on in those frenetic final moments? You know, when you're at school and you have to read or study something that's really complicated and water it down to the simplest form. (laughs) Distill it, yes. Distill it, that's the word I'm looking for. And this is exactly what I've done here with the end of this game. So Will Phillips and Liam Shields came to the bench as rotations 75 and 76 simultaneously. That's important. It happened at the same time. Shields came off for Greenwood. Phillips came off for Powell. They both ran directly into the play. The fact that it was two at once didn't give the chance for their club staff to call them back or for a warning from the stewards. The stewards would normally give them a warning saying, you're on 75, don't go over, don't go, don't have another rotation. But because two players came off at once, there was no time for that warning from the AFL. Now, the game stops at the next available opportunity, which was 41 seconds later. Sydney's awarded a free kick and a 50-metre penalty. That's the rules. And McLean kicks a gimme goal, putting the Swans ahead. The AFL's ticked this part off this morning. It was a clear infringement. It was a 50-metre penalty after a goal. There's no, no issue with that. Now, what happened next is a matter of some conjecture. The AFL has this morning confirmed that North Melbourne was required to void its initial interchange breach, which they tried to do by sending Liam Shields back on. The problem is he came back on for the wrong player. (laughs) So, in fact, it was 77 interchanges. Yeah. And if we're going by the letter of the law, that really should have been another free kick and 50-metre penalty. McLean should have had the ball um, in the middle because it's a ruck, a ball up after the goal, and it should have been a 50 metre penalty from there on. It, it, it's messy. It's very messy. So, my go, questions, Scotty. yeah. <laughs> I love when Scotty. He's got a big smile on yeah. his face. <laughs> so, there's a lot of computer monitors on the interchange bench. Mm-hmm. Tom would, uh, I assume North Melbourne have one that gives them real time rotations. I can and tell how you. How many this. they've had? Both teams do, and the bench in between the bench 
benches does as well. And there's okay. a steward that, that's employed by the AFL that looks after Essendon. Yes. Sorry, North Melbourne. Yep. And a steward that looks after Sydney. And the number is black until it gets over the 75 okay. and then it goes red. So is it not as simple as when it says 73, you have two left. And when it says 74, you've got one left. And if you've got two players lining up to go to take it to 76, you say, yeah. no, no, we've got one left. Yeah. The box prioritise who they want, and then you shut up shop. Is yeah. it not that simple? Have I missed something? It is quite a mess down on the bench, but yes, this is this was North Melbourne's fault. Yeah. Now, it's also a confluence of events because it is unlucky that two players came off at once and one of those players had cramps, so, which was Liam Shields. So that wasn't... Um, something that was forecast by North Melbourne that, on the bench. That's life. It is. Now, also, just to uh, confirm, it's 75, but if you make f- any changes at quarter, half, three-quarter mm. time, don't count. Is that right? Yep. And any, any concussion um, interchange, any head yep. check as well. So, in count. theory, you've got uh, four on the bench. So, if you do 75 and four, 12, you've got really 87. Is that so you've got 87 to play with. Well, I guess so. Yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah. So the other thing, the other element here is that if Liam Shields um, was badly injured, he could have come off uh, as the 76th, and the play and, it, and a player could have come on, or any player can come yes, on as the 76th. For both teams, that's available. That's too. available, and it, it, it's essentially a substitute because yeah. once you go off after the 75th, then you're off for the rest of the game. Yes. So you've you really got another three. Yeah, three. If you had three, and also. Tom, how close do teams get to that cap week in, week out? Would we know what every other team had this round? Adelaide was in the 40s in Ballarat right. yesterday. Okay. Um, North Melbourne's been in the 60s for most games. I, I can't remember a situation where a team has got to 76. Is the penalty too great for it to be a free kick and a 50-metre penalty, or does it help safeguard against circumstances where towards the end of a match you might want to try and get a player on? Let's say, it, say it's the grand final, mm. and indeed – Patrick Dangerfield is on the bench and they realise they've hit their cap but they want their skipper back on. Uh, there's a way around the rule, isn't it, to bring him back on but just to cop the free kick and the 50-metre penalty? Well, what, well, there is a way around the rule but there's also not. You can bring him back on. For cop- any player, knowing that he can't come back on. Yeah, no, yeah. but you, know, you could bring Dangerfield back on for the, for the penalty, which is a free kick and a 50-metre penalty, but then they would have to undo it and he'd have to go off again, which is what they tried to do yesterday. But couldn't you... You've hit your cap. Yep. We've stuffed up. Dangerfield's still on the bench. Okay, we need what we consider our 18th player to allegedly yeah. do a, an injury, hamstring or something, comes off Dangerfield on, yes. away you go. There is that. If we want to go down that path. It's interesting, and I did see it mentioned, when they wanted to compare the breach, Sarah, of 666, you get a warning. You get a warning, yes. Yeah, yet an interchange but infraction. Maybe we, maybe we shouldn't get a warning for that. No, I no, mean... I think I'm okay with the goal for the interchange infraction. But there is no need for a warning. If you infringe on the 666, cop the goal against you as well. Why why do we get a warning for one and not the other? I think that's a valid question raised. So in the end, it was the Swans 14-9-93 over the Roos 14-6-90. The Swans snapping a four-game losing streak. And of course, the Roos, they would have loved the win yesterday and the fans were certainly making themselves known after the game. There were heaps of boos and jeers. But if I was a Roos fan, I'd be walking away, you know, not... I would say with a glass half full because the performances of Harry Sheasel, who kicked two and had 25 touches... He looks so good up forward. And George Wardlaw on debut, I mean, that's the future of the club right there. 
I was really pleased to see Sheasel put forward. Yeah. I think we've spoken about it the last couple of weeks. He's been getting good, really good numbers, playing um, with a fair bit of freedom at halfback because of his ball use. He's always going to do well at that. He was drafted as a class forward. I'm glad to see him go and get back in the real heat where he's got a small, medium defender of quality locking down on him. But his goals were just fantastic. The snap in space, but then the one through traffic. He has to play in the front half for me. Yeah. You say North Melbourne fans will leave glass half full. You're a Sydney Swans fan. You went to the game. Did you leave glass half empty? (laughs) Serious question. Yes. Uh, I would say so. Yeah. Look, I... I, it was a strange feeling. I left thinking, I'm not, I don't think anyone won. I felt like <laughs> yeah. there were two losers. No, no, I, really, no, no, I really did. Yeah, I'm with, as a neutral person in this, I, I reckon Sydney lost more. I know they won the game, but if you were trying to build form and confidence to go into uh, the next few weeks, you haven't got any of that. Yet North showed that, you know, we can play some better footy. And the biggest concern for me, and I didn't even need to look at the stats to know this, this was just with the eyes. The Roos absolutely killed the Swans at stoppages. They had 20 more clearances, including 10 more centre clearances. And that all came from the dominance um, in the air. Todd Goldstein was superb. In the end, he's coming up against a debutante for the Swans. Um, Lachlan McAndrew in his first game with Pete Laddams going down. He had to do all the ruck work towards the end of the game. But... They just couldn't get their hands on the ball, the Swans. And we know what Sydney pride themselves, and we'll continually play snippets of a John Longmire press conference and talk about how much they value the contest. Uh, and to get nutted like that is uh, significant, isn't it? It, it was. I think Luke Parker Nutted. deserves plaudits because yesterday he looked like a man possessed. I think he ended up with cuts all over his face. Yeah. But if there was going to be one play to will his side over the line yesterday, it was Luke Parker. And I thought... It was nice to see Buddy get back mm. on the scoreboard. Clearly, this is going to be his last season, but he kicked three goals, and now he's drawn equal with Doug Wade on 1,057. He's a legend and an ornament to this game. So he's one goal away from what being the third greatest goal kicker in VFL, AFL history. That's right. yeah. In an era where it's never been as... It's, Never been as difficult to kick no. goals as it's been in this era, but he has bucked the trend. It's quite incredible, isn't it? He's the most remarkable pl- remarkable player of the 21st century. That's not, not that's not exactly a grand statement, given he's a forward and right. and the way the game is played. But, he, but the way he plays, the way he plays, he's not a high marking forward. No, but he hasn't. He's six foot six, yeah. and he's not a great mark, which is not to diminish his effort. It just shows how many different ways he can kick goals. Yeah, yeah. He's playing his 350th in two weeks as well, which is a Thursday night against St Kilda, I think at the SCG, from memory. Yep. Um, so that will be a great celebration of Buddy as well. If you're Brett Ratton, do you entertain bringing in Taron Thomas next week? I mean, should he be considered for selection given what's going on in his life? Gee, it's a good question. Um, that's why you've asked it. <laughs> and now you want an answer. Uh, I, I think... So once you commit to bringing him back into the program, I think you commit to having him available for selection. The question is whether, when is the right time to bring him back into the program? And without all the information, I think it's really difficult to give an accurate answer. I think it's unfair in that regard. You rely on the judgment of North Melbourne. I think you also gain confidence, uh, and this perhaps is a little bit odd in a sense to have this opinion, but with a female CEO and a female president, I think that helps them to be able to articulate the reasons why. 
I think there's a nice balance of decision making there that has us have to accept and acknowledge that they know more than us and they've made an accurate decision. Um, and not to diminish the de- decision making of men, but I think you perhaps open yourself up a little bit more if it was an all male decision making uh, group. But I think there's a really nice balance there. So you have to support that decision. So the Roos now two and eight with Collingwood to come. The Swans four and six with Carlton to come next. But last night it was dream time at the G and in the end, the Bombers, they got the chocolates by one point. Draper and Nancurvis to go at it. Good bounce. Draper high. Slaps it forward. First hands on the footy with the Bombers and they lock it up. And there's the siren. It's a dream time miracle for the Bombers. Yes, it was indeed. The Dons getting home by one point at the death and Essendon Utility. Carl Langford has been good enough to join us this morning. Carl, welcome to Crunch Time. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, be honest. When Sam Durham went back to kick that goal, how much time did you think was left on the clock? Uh, the fact that we were chipped in, um, which I think Mason kind of mentioned after the game, I knew there probably would only be maybe a minute or two. So uh, we had to set up the ground pretty quickly as soon as you took that mark. Yeah, so what do you do when you think you've got a minute left? How do you set up to try and safeguard against the Tigers getting back? Um, well, we try and just, I mean, it's a little bit hard with the 15 6 rule, but what we try and do is just um, drop a few players on the ball just to shore up the fence and... Um, sorry, I'm just walking to the market. So you can probably hear a bit going oh, on around me. Which, which markets are you going uh, to? Uh, South Melbourne market. <laughs> oh, that's right my up local. Sarah's <laughs> my local as well. We do love it there. How what good. Are you, what are you shopping yeah, for, Kyle? Little, uh, for the weekly veg, bit of meat, fruit, <laughs> bit of everything. Pretty stock standard. So, um, pretty stock standard, yeah. They're flowers for the, for the partner. Oh, you'll be in the good place. For the right thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we just try and lock down, um, lock down the game, uh, almost park the bus kind of thing. Kyle, a little bit more broadly, uh, and you never deserve a win. You really have to earn them. But uh, despite not getting the chocolates the previous few weeks, the team's form has been pretty solid. Uh, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think our, um, the way we've been playing, uh, we've just been building over the past, you know, a few weeks and. There's a couple that haven't gone our way all the way back to kind of Anzac Day against um, Collingwood. But, you know, the little things that we learn from those kind of games, they're helping us through, I guess, um, matches like last night. So uh, we'll continue to grow and build. And I think over the next month, we're going to see our side get a few more players back, which will be great. But I think what we've been able to actually accomplish over the past few weeks with quite a depleted side from our best 22 um, just shows that the strength and the direction we're going as a group. Kyle, you mentioned the way that we've been playing. Can you just elaborate on that for us? What does that mean for you? What does it look like? Uh, probably for me, what what I've been really impressed with, Scotty, and I guess the coaching group is it's almost like a it's just an evolving um, game plan. So each week, there's things in our game that need to get better, and we we actually go away throughout that week, practice it and just try and build on our game plan. It's not something that, you know, is set in stone from the start of the year and we go back to the drawing board after every game. Scotty accepts that, you know, there's areas of our game that are weaknesses and um, every single week we're just implementing 
tiny little things, not, not massive things, but I think from round one to round ten, um, no doubt supporters have been able to see a little bit of a difference. Um, and as a playing group, we've definitely felt that difference. Captaincy, uh, it can be judged in many different ways. I think most agree that how you play is number one. And Zach Merritt led the team brilliantly last night and was actually, well, he was outstanding all night. Yeah, I think Zach's one of those players who just embodies, you know, on-field leadership. Um, he does absolutely everything possible throughout the week to prepare himself for the game. And he's not a massive talker. Um, for anyone who knows Zach, it's all about getting the job done and uh, leading by actions. And that's exactly what he did last night. It wasn't just his offensive efforts, but even that dusty tackle in that last quarter, his defensive efforts uh, were unbelievable and you know, a well-deserved kind of best on ground um, accolade for him. But he's been doing this for the whole year and um, oh, well, for years, really. Uh, and it's really starting to get noticed. And as a captain, um, he's been really, really good at stepping up in that field. Kyle, one of the best things about um, a player like Sammy Durham kicking the winning goal is that we get to see his personality in interviews after the game and then this morning on the Sunday footy show as well. Tell us what he's like. He, he seems to be a, a great personality and someone that everyone would get around when he, when he, uh, when he succeeds in such a way. Uh, yeah, Sammy. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone can draw their own conclusions. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, at the core of all is the boy from Seymour. Yeah. Um, he's not politically correct at all, but he's just, uh, you know, he's heart and soul in football, athlete loves football totally genuine person and everyone at the club absolutely loves him and um, to see him uh, kick that goal and I was on the I was on the bench when he uh, when he missed that goal when he debuted against mm. North Melbourne up in Gold Coast and he came off on the bench after that game and yeah he was just rattled for the rest of the game and um, we still talk about it now and for him to actually get that one uh, in the memory bank it's gonna be really good for him moving forward but um, yeah he's just humble as a good as it comes and he just has a crack at it so did you have any concern, Kyle, that perhaps, even though it was right in front of goal, that he might be a little wobbly? Absolutely not. We were, uh, <laughs> we were starting to get the ground organised to, um, you know, as I said earlier, kind of flood the, flood the, the back line a little bit. So, um, yeah, no, we had no, no issues at all. And I think uh, when you actually watch the replay, only about two blokes actually celebrated with him, which is quite sad for the moment <laughs> that it was. But um, that's just because we had total faith in him, kicking the goal, um, doing what needed to be done, and then the rest of the players are setting up the ground. Now, Kyle, a serious question. I grew up on a dairy farm, so I'm a, a pro-milk latte. Cow's milk, that is. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? What sort of coffee now? There's been a lot of oat and almond latte, oat milk, almond milk. What's your coffee of choice? <laughs> uh, I'll probably disappoint you. I'm a straight shooter, just a long black today. No, that's good. That's quality. What are you, Scotty? Yeah, I don't muck around with any milk. No. <laughs> oh, you're a hardcore. No, no, I'm a cow's milk. I mean, there's no such thing. You can't get milk out of almonds or oats, okay? Just let that go on the yeah. record for all those that order those. And, Carl, if you're, if you're no. walking to the South Melbourne market right now, you must have a favourite cafe in that area. So where would you go to get a latte around there or a long black? Where would you go if you were just around the market like you are today? What would you suggest? Uh, our local is a cafe called Leaps and Downs. Um, so the owner there, Jack, he looks after us with a big smile every single time we come, which is nice. And one of those cafes where you don't even have to give them your order. They're already making it as you walk through the door. So, um, yeah, he keeps me coming back 
That's Jack Franklin, Sarah. Yes, that's one of my friends. Oh, so yes. There we go. There Is we go. Wedding? Very funny. Great it wasn't answer. my wedding. Yeah. Great answer, Kyle. Very well, small world. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on the win last night. Your one goal and 16 disposals certainly helping your side get over the line. And best of luck with the rest of the season. West Coast to come next. Okay, guys. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks, Kyle. Carl uh, Langford. And he'll there. be joining us regularly in future weeks when we do the food and coffee segment. He's going to branch well, we out. Sponsor before, on board, we? please. Crunch time's literally going to be crunching into food. <laughs> so what, you're not about the, the almond milk? Nah, seriously. Come no? On. No. No? Tom, do you even drink coffee? I don't drink coffee. I have a chai latte. Oh, you're worse. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't actually like the taste, and I don't think I need coffee. I'm awake when I wake up. I don't need to be woken yeah, up. I've noticed that of... with some of our text threads. You don't need coffee. No, no. definitely not. Nope. No. So the Bombers now sitting at 5-5. Five and five. As I said, the Eagles to come. That one at Optus Stadium next week. The Tigers, though, they slip to 4-6 and six to play Yata Pulte, which is Port Adelaide at the MCG. That's going to be a tough assignment for Richmond, isn't it? Given just how well Port Adelaide are going at the moment. I mean, that win against Melbourne was sensational. And it was it without a forward line, really. No Charlie Dixon, no Todd Marshall, no Junior Rioli. So that's going to be tough for the Tigers. Do we think that perhaps, despite building them up so much last week, that perhaps finals are going to be a stretch too far? Who, the Tigers? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Well, they're three wins, one draw and six yeah. losses. It's a long way back. Is that right? Three, yes, yeah, three and six. They're two, they're two out. Yeah, it's You're a long way back. Tail. And, you know, um, Dion Prestia said last week that they're playing the Richmond way again. Damon Hardwick said that it was the Richmond way. This Richmond way is becoming more and more fleeting every, every month. It's becoming rare. Stick with us on Sunday Crunch Time. Up next, Hawthorne footy boss Rob McCartney to join us. And quality and innovation powering DIYers all day, every day. Visit Berwick GMW Haval and test drive the GWM Canon CC, part of the Berwick Motor Group. Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time. Sarah Ollie here with Tom Morris and Scott Lucas, Hawthorne head of footy, Rob McCartney, to join us shortly with the Hawks taking on the Eagles down in Tassie a little bit later today. But it is Sir Doug Nichols' round. Well, we're really celebrating across the next two weeks, aren't we? And there's plenty to celebrate. And, Scotty, you've put together a little list for us of the best Indigenous players that you've played with, with or against? With or against. There we go. There's the parameters. Now, my fearless producer left me hanging. I was, I'm not sure there was going to be a long list or a short list. Whole, long list. Long list. The full 10. Woohoo. Over ten, to you. 10 to 1, please. He's, he's, uh, he's cleared the decks on the, <laughs> whatever the next segment is. It's being pushed back. Uh, I'll start with number 10, uh, star of the game, and his impact culturally on the AFL and the broader community significant, Nicky Winmar. Mm. Number nine, uh, I think higher if he played, retired at around 28, but a star, the best 10 possession player to ever play the game. Winston Abraham. Yeah, is that a, are you having a go at Winston? There? I love Winston. Well, he's not in the top oh, 10. Who? I'm sorry. Who is Cyril. it? Cyril. Oh, Cyril, sorry. Cyril, Cyril. come on, Tom. Mark of the year, Winston Abraham. Come on. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Against Port Adelaide. Yep. Uh, number eight, star of the game. Can anyone have kicked more goals of the week, goals of the year than this okay. man? Eddie Betts. Number seven, a guy I played with and I think the the leader in raising awareness to the plight of our First Nations people, Michael Long, and a star man. Spoke beautifully last night again. Always does. Love Longy. Number six, uh, longevity. You're not called Silk without good reason. Mm-hmm. Sean Burgoyne. 
Uh, five, uh, a Brownlow medalist from the back pocket, a teammate of mine, and then went to Port Adelaide with a lot of pressure and became an All-Australian as a 30, 31-year-old, significant in their 2004 flag. Gav? I'm too young for that 1993 Brownlow medal, but to win a Brownlow medal from the back pocket is an amazing effort, especially given the way the game was played. The rubber man. He just, yep, flinging himself. He probably started the first line of defences to attack. So he changed how that position or defenders played. Mm. That team did, because Mark Harvey was very similar, such an aggressive centre-half back. Uh, Number four... Five goals on a wing and a Norm Smith medal. Don't need to see too much more. Peter Matera, mm. absolute jet. And, uh, I mean, if you went through the resumes of the next three. Hard to split them. It's incredible. <laughs> How'd you split them? Look, very, very sound criteria that I cannot reveal. It's like secret herbs and spices. Yeah. Uh, number three, Adam Goods. Mm. Two Brownlows. Premiership success. Uh, an outstanding player. Two Brownlows in different positions as well, pretty yep. much, yeah. Yeah. Number two, a guy, as we talk about changing positions that we would try and tag as a halfback, Andrew McLeod. I don't think people realise, and it often happens with time, how good he was. And number one, um, you spoke about him earlier. I mean, a thousand goals in any era is incredible, but in this era, era with the defensive mindset of teams and coaches to kick a thousand goals is incredible. Yeah. It's the Budwar. Budwar. Love him. Number one. It's outstanding. Good list, good list Scotty. Oh. It's almost as good as the AFL's headline yesterday on AFL.com. You love that one, didn't I'm not you? sure whether it's Nathan Schmuck who did it or a sub editor behind the scenes, Sarah, but it is while you're up, up and about, dockers fly. <laughs> it's just a fantastic headline. And so while you're up is what Fremantle yeah. are going with over these two weeks. Nam for Melbourne and Yatapolti for yeah. Port Adelaide. They're really leaning into their Indigenous roots and celebrating that there. But what a complete list. One, Lance Franklin. Two, Andrew McLeod. Three, Adam Goods. Four, Peter Matera. Five, Gavin Wanganin. Six, Sean Burgoyne. Seven, Michael Long. Eight, Eddie Betts. Nine, Cyril Rioli. Ten, Nicky Winmar. Pretty hard to argue with No that, Jeff Farmer. Though. I'd probably be the only one for me. What about you, Sarah? You love Michael O'Loughlin, I don't do you? I do love Mickey yeah. O. Even he had the yips in the 05 grand final. <laughs> <laughs> but whack. Whack, well, okay. Well, I reckon Mick and Jeff, as, you know, any list... The Wizards. Desperately unlucky yeah. to miss out. Good list, Scotty. All right. Hawthorne are taking on West Coast in Tasmania today. And Hawthorne head of footy, Rob McCartney, has been good enough to join us. Rob, welcome to Crunch Time. Thanks, Sarah. Now, it's been a pretty big week for the club um, with Alistair Clarkson stepping down from his role at North Melbourne. How have you digested it at all? Because it's it's there's a lot to take in, isn't there? Oh, there is. And I think most importantly... Um, you know, my relationship with Alistair goes back nearly 40-odd years. We grew up in in towns quite close to each other. So, um, you know, what I'd like to say is I just hope he's getting the support he needs and um, taking back to full health and whether that means coming back to footy uh, or not. Um, you know, what I'd like to see is just he's health, happy and healthy. Rob, Tom Morris here. Thanks for um, having a chat to us. I'm not going to talk too much about this, but I think it's important that... Um, 
we get a response from you uh, regarding Sonia Hood's comments yesterday about Hawthorne. She said Hawthorne's report was poor and its response to it was poor, but I would like to think it was created with good intentions, but it did not create a bridge to deal with hurt. It set up a monumental set of battle lines. Did you read or hear these comments? And if so, what's your response? Actually, no, I hadn't hadn't read them. Obviously, we travelled yesterday. Yep. Um, look, probably for, for us, one of the things that, our football club did early was was ensured that the football department sort of had a little bit of a distance between both the process and the investigation. Yep. And the reason being that we were in a position as a, as a footy club, as you know, that we really need to focus on investing some time into the playing group that we had, couldn't afford to really be distracted in the development of that group and the investment of a, a game plan that hopefully would stand up to finals when it, when our time came. So I I can't really comment on you know, the process and what's happened, obviously that's something that was, was delivered at, at a different level. But I have read Andy Gowers' um, president's message yesterday, more or less trying to, to explain, you know, the limitations with, with the work that they had to do. Were you, as head of football, um, privy to that message at all from Andy Gowers? Did you have any impact on it at all? Or was it just done at board level? No, no, just done at board level. Although I machine board level. Yep. Rob, we had you on, might have been five or six weeks ago, and you spoke uh, around the midfield and where you were ranked the previous year, which formed some of your decisions on moving players on at the end of last year. I'm just going to follow up with a question. How have you assessed uh, the opportunities given to your young midfielders and the progress they make? As I mentioned, Will Day, who has been absolutely outstanding and is a clear benefactor of those decisions made but if you could just expand on how it's going and perhaps some of the other younger players that have been provided exposure through the midfield yeah I remember the conversation actually Scott and um, at that time we probably didn't have the evidence that uh, could back up the information that I was talking about but the strategy I could I could talk of at that stage um, there's enough evidence now I think you know nine rounds in that the the approach to provide opportunity to the wheel days but not only wheel like you know James Warple was another player who just had missed a number of opportunities to, to get a, an exposure as a starting mid um, through the last couple of years and and has now got that I think he's back to playing some of his best footy you know uh, Joy Newcomb has, has got another 10 games into himself where he's a, a pretty pivotal part of that midfield and and unfortunately with Jager and Tom because they were good players um, and are still good players in the competition. Those opportunities just weren't going to be afforded to to those young boys. And, and Connor Nash is the other one. Um, I think we're just starting to see, you know, the the, the talent that the big-bodied Irishman has, has brought over with him to, to our country and, and now with with a little bit of time in the game is starting to show that, um, you know, he might develop into a pretty handy player. Rob, Sam Mitchell tested positive for COVID a few days ago. He was away from the club. What is the club's policy, the AFL's policy, on anyone that does have COVID? Um, and how did you have to rearrange the magnets or shuffle things this week so that um, it could be as normal as possible for the players? Yeah, well, look, um, in terms of, of you know the, the AFL's policy, the AFL's policy is just now the, the policy for the community in terms of how you manage it. Um, having Sam away, we just... We just made sure that um, you know Sam had a, a a voice to to our our group in in through a telephone call. But what's been really important, I think, is that sometimes there's a, a real blessing in maybe the senior coach just having a couple of days away from the group because what it does is it gives 
the rest of the club coaches an opportunity to more or less step into a space and develop a little bit, um, have a voice in front of the group that's a little bit more prevalent than what it normally is. And what I've, I've seen is the benefit of that is now in the back end of the week, um, Sam comes into to the environment again, you know, a, on main training day and, and leading into the game. And there's just a, a freshness about his voice. Um, so it's, well, it's not ideal for Sam to get sick. Um, you know, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a win-win in the sense that um, it does provide some opportunity for others and it also does provide a chance just to freshen Sam up within front of the group. So do you think, based on that, is something you'll consider going forward that you'll not give Sam until a few days away from the club but allow assistant coaches to take more control during the week to freshen him up and also the players? I think you've, I think you've got to look at that like through the, the length of any coach's journey. You know, the, the importance of continuing developing your coaching group as a whole because... Sam, while he's a, a, a master tactician and he's, he's really good at, at um, you know, seeing the game and, and, and verbalising what he's seeing, it, it needs a, uh, you know, a village to, to raise our little community of footballers. So wherever you can find the time to develop your, your broader coaching group, wherever you can keep your coach's message really fresh, I think is, is a smart strategy for what we see as a long journey in the game for Sam. Rob, just on a bit of a lighter note, is there going to be a banner down there in Tassie today <laughs> where, where we're reading that apparently it didn't get on the flight? Sarah, unless you're bringing it down, <laughs> nope. um, there's, there's not one here. <laughs> um, so in, in saying that, though, um, you know, you've got to be problem solvers in, in today's world. So um, I think we'll have something pretty special. I think we've got some, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in reference and, and respect to Sir Doug Nichols' round, we've got some really special tributes to that with some young Indigenous children walking out with our players, some clapsticks, um, some excitement in terms of, of that. But there will not be no breaking of banners today. <laughs> Rob, after the Tasmanian team comes into the competition, would you like to continue or do you intend to continue playing games down in Tassie? Oh, the one thing I'd say about it, Scotty, is that we play them well down here, don't we? Like, yes. Our record, <laughs> our record's pretty good, so... So walking away from playing footy in Tassie is is something that um, you know is, is challenging at best because you look at the three games we've played. We played a practice match against Collingwood um, before the season started, and and two other you know games for points down here, and have played really well. And you know we continue to to find that other clubs don't probably enjoy the trip as much as what we do. So look, I think we'd always look to see how long we could keep that association with Tasmania and particularly Launceston. Rob, how does the process work on the bench? I'm saying this in reference to Sydney and North Melbourne yesterday. How, how does the interchange, I guess, uh, formalities take place each and every game and, and who's in control of that? Oh, look, I can only talk for our club and yep. I really feel for, for North. Um, I know how, you know, we're all working so hard to to win games um, and they're close to winning one and, and something like this happens. But, you know, for us, um, you know, the AFL obviously gives us a, a, an alert when we get to 70 interchanges um, and then they and us count those down to 75, obviously. Um, and we have a number of people on the bench that, that have control of that. Um, and that could be different at different clubs. Um, but, yeah, we we monitor that and I think, and it's, it's sad to say, but... Now that this has happened, I think um, you know every other club is probably even more vigilant with this moving forward. Um, I doubt it will happen again. It will certainly be a cautionary tale indeed. Rob, thank you for joining us. Best of luck down there, banner or no banner. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. And, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to, to getting out there and getting a win.
Thanks, Rob. Hawthorne head of footy, Rob McCartney, joining us He's there. Good. It will be unusual without a banner, though, won't it? Yeah, well, West Coast haven't had a banner for a while, and I think there might be a petition to bring their banner back. Maybe I'm old school. I, I liked Banner when I was young. I don't really take much notice of them now unless there's a typo. <laughs> All right. As we head to the break, it's time for a dabble with Josh Jeans. On the other side, we'll touch on the three games coming up today. It's time to say hey to the social bet with Dabble. Josh Jeans has joined us for a banter and a bet. Go on, have a dabble. What are you really gambling with? Yeah, thanks, Sarah. Plenty happening on the Dabble app. We really love our live streams and so do the punters. Plenty of banter in there as you watch along and we try to pick a few winners. But there's plenty happening in the banter channels in terms of Carlton. And I know you spoke about this last week, Lord Heath Shaw, and about the club. But people saying, is Vossi too soft as a coach? He's not the issue. Carlton, it's inbred in them over the last, I'll say, 10 to 15 years that when things get tough... They go missing. It's not the coach, it's the players. And the players have been brought up with the fact that, well, they can't push through. They can't push through. They can't find something extra, which you need to do if you're a good team. Look at Collingwood. They've been down at times at three-quarter time by 20 odd points and find a way to win because they, they dig deep, Josh. Carlton don't know how to dig deep. They need to find a shovel. I probably chose the wrong argument because I thought that was going to be maybe level-headed, but it's just bias. You've just gone, look at Carlton, look at Collingwood, and you've stuck with it. I like it. Uh, we'll focus on that game for today. I'm uh, taking a leaf out of your book. Uh, Brody Majacek, two plus. I know you had him for two plus last week. Did it easy. Uh, crisp, 20 plus. Uh, I like him. I like his role in the team. And over 151 Look, could be could be a challenge, but uh, I think they'll uh, easily kick eighty points to seventy. Well, I don't know about eighty points to seventy. Maybe Collingwood will kick one hundred and ten to forty, but whatever it is, Josh, as long as you get there, um, I've gone with under one hundred seventy-one and a half because I think it'll be like one hundred and twenty to twenty or something along those lines. Adam Sard twenty plus um, possessions, and then. Anytime goal scorer, not Nick Dacos. I'm going Josh Dacos. Anytime goal scorer, you get $5.50. That's a bit of value there going the other day, Cost brother. They seem to forget about him, but he's still a very, very good player. Of course, you can copy those bets easily. Just download the Dabble app, head to the Crunch Time AFL uh, page, and you can copy them with one click. Back to you, Sarah. See trending bets from profiles like Heath Shaw, Dane Swan, The Bev Show, and plenty of others. Get following Crunch Time and have a dabble. Go on, have a dabble. What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, visit gamblingonline.org.au. After 10.30am. You're listening to Crunch Time. Zito Power Tools. German design quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GMW Haval and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group. Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time. Sarah Ollie here with Tom Morris and Scotty Lucas. As we wrap up the show, there are three games to come. Hawthorne taking on the Eagles in Launceston today. Then it's the big one at the G. Carlton taking on Collingwood. High stakes there. And then we conclude at Giants Stadium at 4.40pm. GWS taking on the Saints. We've spoken a little bit about Hawthorne mm. and West Coast, Tom. Some people are calling this one the Harley Reid Cup. Uh, it's got you... implications for the mid-season draft, though, doesn't it? Well, it, it does have real implications. I guess it does. Yes, yes, very much so. We've just learned that the Hawks, they probably won't have a banner to run through because that didn't get on the plane. It got rejected at the airport. And uh, they're going to be without Chad Wingard and Chankoff Giaf today, who are both 
injured. Do we have any idea who the sub will be for the Hawks? Connor McDonald for the Hawks. I'm still waiting to see who the sub is for West Coast. We're surely tipping the Hawks here, aren't we? This is a, a trip too far for West Coast, even though both teams are at similar points of the ladder. The Hawks are largely playing more consistent, I guess, yeah. footy than West Coast. Uh, I think without doubt they've played better quarters of football. They haven't sustained. Look, even last yeah. week against Melbourne, their third quarter was excellent, but they just can't sustain it. But their best has been a lot better than West Coast for me, uh, and they should be too good. Rob referenced how good they are in Launceston. Uh that's a fact, and, and West Coast travel, tough. But the real game is Carlton-Collingwood today. How, how, how exciting is this? If Carlton – I mean, I keep saying it every week. If Carlton can find a way – If. If. They'll, if. they'll be back. Gee, if they don't, there's some implications, isn't there? Well, it depends how they lose, doesn't it? They're not yeah, expected to does. win. If they get done by 10 goals, it's very different to getting done by three goals or two goals. So but, they're 4-4-1 four, four yes, at the moment, though. So the that's fact, the issue. Yes. So they need to stay in touch with the, the eight. The fact is, even if they lose narrowly, then they're 4-5 in a draw. Yeah, but there's a long way to go as well. There's a long way to go. And then Giants... But you've got to beat someone that's in front of you. You do, but they Collingwood are a to. long way in front, and they're not losing to anyone at the moment, the Pies. They lost yeah. to Brisbane at the Gabba. That's their only loss, as you said earlier. They've given teams chances, though. Yeah, okay. They have. Can Carlton get that ball movement they had in the well, second half to. against the Dogs last week? Can they replicate that for four quarters against the Pies? And who do well, they, they send to Nick to. Dacos, if anyone? Is there a player that... Is there a match-up there, do you think? It's not an obvious one for me. Mm. Uh, they've got to put time into him, but they've got to be aggressive with ball in hand. You've got the big boys down front. Give them a chance. Give them a chance. Does round 23 mean anything? Uh, last year's round 23. Yeah. I thought, does, I thought, it play, does it no. play into the players' heads at all? You or it's a no so? factor? Not, not Collingwood. Perhaps a little bit. If anything, bit of revenge, is that what you're talking about? Well, just whether or not, you know... It's weighed on them throughout the off season uh, as well. I mean, this was the game that they lost and they fell out of the if, eight. If Carlton are two goals up at three quarter time, Collingwood will think they'll win, and Carlton <laughs> will have significant. And no, no, that's the psychology of it. And yeah. Carlton will have significant doubts. Yeah, no, without question, they've got to take the game on. Are you brave enough to tip the blue, Sarah? Uh, no, I'm a coward. You know that. <laughs> I've never called you that ever. <laughs> called you other things. I've called you a coward before. Uh, what about the Giants and the Saints? Yeah, this, this is, is a prickly this is one. Yeah. Banana peel game yeah, for the Saints. Absolutely. Giants have played some good football in patches. Toby's back. Yep. He's if, worth four goals. He is a four goal difference, yeah, he is, isn't he? he? Is. He only kicks he only has to kick two of them. Max but just King, Max King walks is back taller. as well though. Max King, I'm looking forward to seeing him play against the Giants. Yeah, but you can't expect no. too much from him, can you, yeah. in no, his you first can't. game back? Max will straighten them up and that'll help. So his benefit to the team for me will be more team than individual. It'll be tough for him to have a big game today or a mm. good game even. He just needs to get some footy under his belt. Ben King was great last night. I say great. He was very good last night. He's again showing why if he continues on the trajectory that he's on, he could be worth an absolute truckload of money by the time he comes out of contract at the end of next year, Ben King. We're assuming he wants to go. We don't, we don't, I don't ever assume that. He's going to be no. out of contract at the end of next year. So no. he's worth a lot of money Sorry. at that point. Yes, he'll be offered a lot. Uh, he'll be well paid if he stays. He will be, yeah. For one reason. He's a bloody good player. Yeah. Rather than necessarily the Vic clubs lining up for him. Mm. Yeah. Just in Which terms they of will, today. Of yes. I do want to see something from St Kilda, though. Ross Lyon gave them an out last week. He said a it's a mulligan. You can't have two mulligans in a row. Maybe it's just a public mulligan. <laughs> just a public mulligan. Are you tipping Perhaps the Saints? Not a private one. I've gone for the Saints. Scotty? Saints. Yeah, Saints. They're all tipping the same all three games. All right. Well, that has been the Round 10 edition of Sunday Crunch Time. Hawthorne and West Coast to come up next. Then it's Carlton and Collingwood before the Giants and St Kilda.